Welcome to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and Sapro. On this podcast, we share ideas and hear from guests about how they find, retain, develop, and advance women and other underrepresented groups in their accounting firms. Now, on to our guest. Thank you for being here today on this episode of Move Like This. Today, I get to talk to Rima Patel. She is a manager, a financial advisor, and co-director of DPATH, which is CBM's Diversity and Inclusion Initiative. I really appreciate you being here today, Rima, and look forward to learning as much as we can about CBM. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited for this. As an accounting practitioner, certified financial planner, and co-director of the firm's DEI initiative, I'm impressed you had time to join me today. Wearing all these different hats also puts you in the unique position of recommending programs that lead to greater diversity and inclusion, and also benefiting from those policies in your day-to-day client work. So how are you seeing this play out at CBM? And can you share a specific program that employees have really embraced? That's a good question. And when you say it all out like that, it doesn't sound like you're talking about me at all. (laughs) That's funny. Well, I think that what being part of the DEI initiative brings to me is that, you know, first we have a really great team of people with all these different assets that they bring, either it's the ideas generator or the, you know, employee engagement or just like the passion and enthusiasm for trying to do good work. And what it does is makes me feel grounded and more, you know, empathetic, compassionate. When you're talking about this stuff, it just kind of generally reminds you about the humanity of what we're trying to do. I think that being part of that group reminds me to that I am grounded and reminds me to be more compassionate because uh, those are the feelings that start to slip away when you're overwhelmed or feeling stressed, which is a very normal part of both of my jobs. So I try to bring that with me in my accounting and financial planning work. As you may or may not know, it is very personal. Um, It can, you know, a lot of times we're working with clients to help them navigate their money stresses or, you know, their finances, aging, death, like all this stuff, it's very personal parts of their lives. It can be an emotional weight for them. So having that, you know, groundedness and that compassion, just like the human empathy for somebody else that can, you know, that comes with me day to day. One of the programs from our group that was, I think, you know, widely successful that came from one of my team members is we do these uh, randomized breakout groups. We started them before the pandemic. We used to literally sit down and like, break out all of our employees into random groups and then they would go out and have you know coffee lunch happy hour whatever you know we would pay for their meals and it was an excuse for everyone to just kind of take a break for a moment socialize with people and oftentimes people that you don't normally work with directly and it just helped make people feel it you know kind of increase collaboration because you're talking to other people It helped bridge relationships between different departments, different levels. And I think it created a greater sense of belonging for a lot of people. Now, since the pandemic, all of our meetings are basically on Microsoft Teams. 
we started doing a weekly all staff meeting. So about once a month, we essentially just converted this breakout group into a Teams thing, which now you can you know press one button and it'll create these random groups for you without doing all the work. And sometimes there are prompts, sometimes there isn't, but it's been really successful, especially for remote workers who don't get to talk to people every day um, and newcomers who may not know everybody at the firm. So it's been really great for that. And then and I'll just share one other thing that we do. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a program that came out of this that employees have embraced, but it is something that we do in our DEI initiative is we started doing an anonymous survey of our employees. And it asks for, you know, it's just trying to get their feedback on how they feel about inclusivity at our firm and our diversity initiatives. And now, so what it lets us do is track the firm sentiment from year to year and we include some open-ended questions in there that help inform, you know, what we're going to focus on next or where, you know, where programs are working, where programs are not working or what we can do better. I love that. I That is, I'm a huge proponent of getting survey feedback from team members at all levels, right. uh, because often you don't know what you don't know. And I like the idea that it's anonymous too, because that way people feel confident to share things that they might worry about repercussions or blowback or something like that. If it's something negative about a leader in the firm, hopefully not, but you know, those things happen. They do happen. Yeah. It's common. It's everywhere. It's just the nature of how it is, but you know, we're, we get, we are very excited that people respond because our first year that we did this, we thought nobody's going to, feel comfortable sharing, but we've been pretty consistent at our response rate. It's been really good. We have a lot of people that want to share positive or negative feedback. And it's been, I think it's very, very valuable. It helps you get a beat on how people feel. And sometimes leadership is surprised when they think it's one way. And then you're seeing these results that some people feel differently. So then you have to then go back and address that root cause. Yes. That is another important part of the process is you can't just ask people for all this input and then not do anything with it. Right. Otherwise, there's no point. They're not going to feel like there's any point in doing it. And so <laughs> I love that there's going to be a response. And I have to tell you, I've managed these for a number of, of my clients. And leadership is frequently surprised by what they <laughs> um, That is that, that not surprise me. And but it's good. You know, yeah. I mean, it's better to know something than to just have it hanging out there, impacting you know, how much your employees feel like they belong at the firm, how much they feel supported. Yeah. And when retention is so incredibly important with the talent shortage that the profession is dealing with, you, you want to know these things so you can create a work environment where people want to stay and feel like they're treated fairly and rewarded for their efforts. Yeah, I agree. And also, you know, it's okay if leadership is surprised. That's normal. That's just part of what this involves. Currently, women comprise 68% of your employees and 40% of your partner group, outpacing the average of firms participating in the MOVE project and far outpacing firms across the country. What do you feel that CBM is doing to be an employer of choice for women in accounting? I think the two biggest things that we offer, uh, and from what I hear from you know my colleagues and, and employees, 
is the flexibility and the ability to work remotely. This helps both recruit and retain women. Obviously, we were all remote during the pandemic. And then as we had to start making decisions on what the, you know, back to back to work landscape was going to look like, we gave employees the option to be full-time in office, a hybrid situation, or full-time remote. And more than half of the respondents said they wanted to be full-time remote. And you can, you know, this can change. It's not like you're fixed permanently, but you can change over time. So like currently most of our employees are full-time remote or, you know, hybrid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that makes up more than half of our employees. That's now a part of the fabric of our culture, right? Like that is not something that's going to go away now, which is a big deal when people are talking, especially this year, I feel like it's really started to ramp up is all these movements to bring everybody back in. You got to be in, you can't collaborate unless you're doing it in person, blah, blah, blah. And I think there are ways to collaborate. You just have to be more intentional about how you do it. But it just goes to show you that this is something people want. And even though this was an offering to everyone, right? This is not focused towards any particular group. It's not focused towards women. But who are the people that are going to benefit the most? It is generally women. Why? Because, yes, we are still, despite how much progress we're making, women are still, you know, the caretakers, Young moms or new moms are still the ones who are doing most of the childcare, um, and that's not always the case. But it is still, you know, statistically, it is still happening more often with women than it is with men. So they tend to, you know, that that serves as like a retention policy too, because even when you know, and we've got lots of people that have gone on parental leave, both you know, moms and dads, and that's where you can. I feel like that's where. Uh, there's a big risk of somebody not coming back, right? Once you have a break and if you're unhappy, that is the time where you may not come back. Or if you don't feel like you're supported, then, you know, after going through such an ordeal, you're not going to want to come back. But we have had very low turnover in people who've gone on leave. They wanted to come back because we still keep, you know, they are going to come back. They're going to have the responsibilities they had, but they can, you know, they're not losing the getting a career setback. Right. Which was something that used to be a thing where and sometimes is still a thing where you don't really get the same recognition or the same position or the same types of responsibilities. Maybe you're doing less client facing work and you were doing a lot before. Right. Things like that. So we don't really negatively punish someone for taking a lesser load or coming back from leave, no matter how long the leave is. Right. You kind of jump back right back in. You can take the time you need to or you can come back full time. And people seem to really like that. They know that they have a place. They know that their reputation here is you're valued. We like the work that you do. And you know, going back also to the flexibility, right? Is like you don't have to be on at 8 a.m. or we used to require Saturday work days during busy season. That's just the nature of accounting, right? Is we have busy season. We don't require that anymore, right? Not everyone can work the, the time that they need to. We have to get certain things done during the week, obviously. And that happens. That's still that work still gets done but we're not requiring people to be in the office at 8 a.m. or logged on at 8 a.m. on a Saturday, right? Like if you're going to work on Sunday instead, that's fine. Whatever you have to do, if you're going to work late during the week, that's also fine. You know, you find a way to manage what your life is like and what your needs are with the work instead of just having to do it in these regimented, rigid timelines. I think that's great. And I have to say firms that are requiring you to come back into the office, I'm hearing that that's leading to people leaving. Yeah. 
when you're talented, you can, there are firms all over the country that are more than happy to have the remote workers, even if you're in different time zones or different parts of the country. And so it's really the employees in the catbird seat and can decide where they want to work. So firms have had to learn to be more flexible with that. And I love to hear that. Obviously, that's embraced at CBM. Yeah, it is. We are very grateful for that. And obviously me too, because I moved during the pandemic, you know, right before the pandemic, I had moved. So at that point, it was, we didn't have these policies in place. Yeah, this was, you know, early 2020, before we were all remote, but we didn't have, you know, what were we going to do? We had some people that were remote, but we weren't sure, you know, people weren't sure how it was going to work out. And so grateful that it did because I would not have wanted to quit because I moved, but it was looking like it was a valid option at some, you know, for a period of time. <laughs> yeah. And I, I love the flexibility. I've worked from a home office for a long time and have talked to firms over the years pre-pandemic about, you know, creating a remote workforce. And I can't tell you how many people were like, there's, that could never work. How do we know people are working or all those pushbacks. Right. And then, you know, it takes something like a global pandemic. Somehow we figured it out and pretty quickly. I think in the end, while there are those out there that still kind of hate the remote work idea, I think the majority have definitely benefited from at least having that as an option. Yeah, I agree. People are happier, generally. People are very busy. Whether or not you're taking care of a child, right, that's one thing. You got daycare, drop-off, pick-up to deal with. That's not normal. You know, it's falls in the middle of the workday. Or, you know, nowadays, a lot of people are taking care of their parents mm -hmm. or other family members, maybe grandparents, right? Whatever it is. We have a lot of that happening, too. But even if it's not that, we also have our own lives or our own health or our own extracurriculars. Like I want to do something sometimes in the middle of the day. Right. So if I want to do that now, I can do take, take a lesson during, in, you know, in the afternoon or something and then come back and finish up the work later. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's been a huge benefit, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. So CBM has offices in Bethesda, Maryland and Washington, D.C., <laughs> I imagine your firm deals with its fair share of politics. And in some firms, DEI initiatives are waning because firm leaders fear seeming too liberal or I hate the phrase, but woke. Yet study after study show that businesses that weave DEI into their policies are more profitable, have higher retention rates and appeal to a broader swath of clients. So do you have any advice for others on how to overcome these objections and continue making their firms more inclusive and their people feel a greater sense of belonging? A very good question. We could probably talk about this for hours. <laughs> we could. I will say our office is only in Bethesda currently. We did just close out our lease in the Washington, D.C. office. So we only have an office in Bethesda, but... The effect, the intent is the same. We're still in the Washington, D.C. metro area. And I don't think that, you know, being in the D.C. area necessarily changes all that much because the political nature of it is everywhere, regardless of whether you're in the capital or whatever. So I know that it's everywhere. And I think there's always going to be someone or some people that just don't get it, right? It feels like a threat to their position or their place of power or their existence or whatever, you know, feel guilty about whatever it is. 
But that's not what we're trying to accomplish here. What we want is, is we, we want everyone to recognize how uneven things are in this society and country, whether it's workplace policies or recruitment biases or access to education, access to medical care, on and on and on. There's so many ways that it's affected. Mm -hmm. uh, and you just kind of have to be willing to open your eyes and, you know, accept that maybe your what you experience is very different than what many people experience that are different than you. You're not going to get through some people and that's okay, right? The goal isn't that you're trying to change those people. The goal is that you want the people who are there to feel included and have a place and have a voice. So there are many times that I also feel frustrated when I'm reading these news or I'm faced with an obstacle and just want everyone to know that you're not alone. It's going to happen everywhere. But the best advice that I can give is to just keep at it. You're going to chip away slowly. It might be slowly. It might take a long time, but you got to keep at it. Don't lose hope and don't take it personally. And then the last piece is just sometimes you have to take a step back, think of what the big picture is, and then drill down to the baby step that you can do right now. There's a lot of things also that you can do that aren't really packaged like a DEI initiative. Mm -hmm. And It'll benefit, you know, everybody in the firm, but it will provide far more significant benefits to maybe the groups that you're trying to help already. And that could be something like the flexibility and remote work policy that we just talked about, right? I told you it's available to everybody, but it generally tends to help women more. But it's not going to be just women, right? There'll be other people too that are benefited from it. There's also things like we started doing a, like a meditation Monday, Monday mornings, optional, whoever wants to join. This did not come out of a DEI group. It was actually out of uh, somebody who really saw that this was, you know, someone who valued mental health and understood that there are employees who would benefit from the service. And, you know, again, this is something that's offered to everybody. But what does it do? It does help recruit diversity. It helps people feel included and it helps retain those people. So there's a lot of ways that if you're if you're in a situation where you just can't really get even be able to create a DEI program. These are small steps that go a really long way that are not just focused on, you know, of course we want to get to the point where we could get into the, the, like the deep aspects of what DEI means, like trying to do that groundbreaking work, but all it takes is one person from at your firm to benefit from it. If you can make one more person feel that sense of belonging, then that is a success. So that helps no matter what size your firm is, right? Just one person, you're trying to bring that back down to the human aspect of it. I think that's something to focus on. You have to pick your battles in some cases. And yeah. it sounds like that's what you're doing. And you're right. So many of these policies that may have started out to benefit one particular group, you know, like we talked about <laughs> women quite a bit here. And of course, Move spends a lot of time focused on women in firms, but in my conversations with firms, men appreciate this. For example, we really focused on the idea of the part-time partnership in 2023. And the idea is that women who have responsibilities for children or maybe aging parents and such have the opportunity to grow into leadership, but can't necessarily commit to the hours and responsibilities that are required generally for partners but I've had conversations with people of all ages and 
what works really well for women in their 30s and 40s also works really well for men and women in their 60s as they're moving into retirement. So there's no reason why that part-time partnership model can't benefit people throughout the firm, even though it was started maybe with one group in mind. Another thing I saw about you is that you were instrumental in creating a financial planning service offering at CBM that targets millennials. Now, other firms tend to only focus on people, say, over 50, or in a lot of cases, that's the case, with financial planning specifically. So what led to you targeting younger clients and how is it going? So I wanted to help busy professionals, right, like myself, understand their options and have empowerment and ownership over their own financial future. So also being a millennial myself and also growing up with parents that didn't really have that sophistication with finance or even that level of assets or income that would call for anything that caught, you know, that needed that level of sophistication, right? And they were they were immigrants to this country too. So add that onto the you know expertise gap here. So beyond the normal rule of just save more than I'm spending, right? Like I didn't really know much more than what to, you know, what do I do with my 401k contributions? I was living at home when I graduated, so I didn't have any expenses. So what do I do with all of this excess cash that I had that was just being pocketed away into my savings account that was earning less than half a percent, less even than that, right? It was just, it was just wasting sitting around there. So I had to spend so much of my time researching, learning what my options were, what I could do, where to put things, how to think about investment, how to think about my future, all of that stuff. There's so much that's involved in this. So, and I relied so much on people, other people that had done this work on their own and then were willing to, you know, talk about it and publish it. And of course, it's not the same thing as financial advice, right? Someone who is paid to help you with, you know, is helping you with your particular situation, I was just getting general advice and then trying to process it and figuring it out for myself because I was just reading blogs and stuff online. So that was the sort of the impetus for me to start studying for my CFP and take that exam and try to do more of that kind of work. That was the idea behind it. Um, it's a really passionate project of mine. It also like kind of met its head when I started, when I got into a relationship, you know, having grown up with a family that didn't, you know, like I said, didn't have all those assets and weren't like high income earners. You know, my relationship with money was very different than his relationship with money. And so we had to have a lot of conversations during our relationship mm -hmm. of like what things caused us stress when it came to it, what didn't, what we wanted our future to look like, what are we going to, how are we going to join or separate our finances together as a couple if we're going to, you know, long-term talking about long-term. And so that was also like a new exposure to me. You know, I'm not the only one going through this in this situation. Yeah. Right? You know, people are starting to realize, especially when you get into relationships or talking to other people where these things, you know, then sort of bubble up and you realize that a lot of what I feel has to do with what I grew up learning. And so then how do I reach more people or how can I help others like me feel more secure in their, in their, you know, current financial state or, get to the point of feeling financially secure in the future. So that was a big part of that. I absolutely love that. And money is what breaks up a whole lot of relationships. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
So I think it's valuable to have those conversations early. I will say when my husband and I were engaged, which has been a long time ago, I had a financial planner friend who would do classes for engaged couples. And it was like a half day on a Saturday morning kind of thing. But it would just bring up all these questions and conversation topics that I thought was really, really valuable that you wouldn't necessarily think about on your own. Um, much like you, my husband and I grew up in uh, different financial situations and I am a rabid saver because I've been in periods of unemployment and periods of financial somewhat insecurity. And he has not experienced that. So how do you find that balance in like, I will sock money away all the time. And he's like, yeah, but it'd be really nice to have a new couch. This one's falling apart. You know, where do you come to those agreements? So I, and I love the idea of targeting people that are younger. I would see, think this would be valuable to Gen Z as well. They may not have as much money to invest of the long-term lifetime relationship that you have with those clients is very valuable as an advisor. And I I will never forget somebody pointing out to me when I was really, I was probably in college at the time, how compound interest works (laughs) and being like, wow, that that's cool. So $10 now can grow to your, you know, whatever hundreds of dollars down the road without a whole lot of effort. So I love that. Yeah. It is. You're right. I mean, and so much, so much of that financial literacy is just absence, right? In most of our lives, you have to really go out of your way to seek it out. And then you start off, you know, trying to understand what compounding interest is when you've never heard about this. And then that opens up another can of worms, another can. There's so much to learn. Um, actually, we just did my call. Co- I have a colleague who also studied for her CFP at the same time. She is, uh, she does you know, helps with the financial planning work for divorce cases and stuff like that. So she's all, she was also sharing a story during our presentation we did about people who are starting off with their finances and just kind of covering a lot of these topics you just talked about, about basic definitions and what you can do now so that you can save, you know, different strategies to help save and grow your retirement assets and things like that. Just something very simple, right? Keep it, if you try to keep it in simple terms, she was talking about how many weddings she's had to go to in the last two years. And every single couple basically comes to her with questions about what they should be thinking about as a couple. So just like you said, your friend did, this is something we've been talking about and thinking about too, is how can we also help people who are now about to get married, right? Or even sometimes you need that while you're married. Sometimes things change throughout marriage. Um, And then obviously, right, like, you know, divorcing situations too. It's like, there's all these elements, phases of our life where this comes in handy. And no matter what, right, no matter what age you are, no matter what, like, area of your life, it's always going to be something new to learn or something valuable. But either way, it is instrumental for you to understand this stuff, to be able to have your own stability in your life. Absolutely. Do you have any final advice for firms that are looking to expand their talent pipeline and attract and retain more women? Thinking outside the box helps. You know, we covered quite a lot of different strategies, I think, in the other questions that are also, you know, relatable to this question. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be the the traditional way of doing something or implementing it a certain way, but 
just thinking how you can use some of these strategies at your own place, or even just being more intentional about what it is you're trying to do. So if the intention is to recruit more diverse candidates, right, then think about what it is that you're doing and you're recruiting now. And how can that change, right? We had to change that too. We used to do a lot of recruiting from alma maters and that doesn't necessarily lead to diversity. It can sometimes, but generally not. If you're if you're not already diverse from that process, then it's probably not going to change, right? Results are not going to change. Um, but it takes so much work and you have to have somebody who's willing to do it to get new connections to different schools, get mm-hmm. into those places, start recruiting in even more places, right? It is a ton of work, but it's a way if you have a designated recruiter like we do, who is fantastic, it can go a long way, right? And you don't have to really uproot a whole lot to do it. You just need someone that that is dedicated to that work. Really just being intentional, I think, and creative about your policies, like flexibility we talked about. How flexible are you? You say that you're flexible. Do your employees think so? That's where the anonymous survey can come in, reviewing medical benefits, doing compensation study. These are all things that are like small, small things that you can do if you're just starting out to just sort of get a beat on where things are and then think about how things can change before you take, you know, before you revamp a whole thing, right? Because that's where, that's where things tend to fall apart is when you're taking on a huge task and trying to without that informational foundation behind it. I think that's great advice. Uh, (laughs) Sometimes a lot of baby steps add up to much more than one really big step. Right. I always like to close with a couple of fun questions. When you were five years old, Rima, what did you want to be when you grew up? Probably a teacher because I was a teacher's pet, but possibly an astronaut too. I vaguely remember this was something that I thought about in grade school. (laughs) Not anymore. No, but yeah. (laughs) That's pretty cool. Uh, I like that. Both of them. There's a lot (laughs) of teachers because... For us, that was one of the few grownups that we knew (laughs) jobs that we experienced on a regular basis. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, if you were given the chance to travel anywhere for free, don't have to worry about time off or expenses or anything like that, where would you go and why? I'm very indecisive. So I'll give you a cop-out answer, which is that if the travel is free, all expenses paid, whatever. I'm going to take first class tickets and go all over the world, no limits. (laughs) Everywhere that I wanted to go, you know, um, especially right, like the longest flights, which I hate being on, is where the first class tickets come in handy. So I could go, you know, from the East Coast now, the farthest place would be like East Asia, Southeast Asia. Those are the hardest parts to travel to from here. (laughs) Yeah. And most expensive too. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say, I, I, don't get upgraded all that often, but on the rare chances that I do, it you're like, this is how I need to live. <laughs> I love it. And if you could have one superpower, what would it be? Teleportation, never having to sit in traffic, worry about security checks or lines, whatever. That would be great. Of course, I would never be on time still. I'm perpetually late everywhere. So it's not going to solve that problem. Uh, I would still find a way to be late, but at least I won't be as stressed about it. I like it. And you were early today. So you're not I was always early. That's true. That's true. Not One of the rare times you caught me. Well, I am honored then that I um, that you got here uh, on time and also that you've spent this time talking with me. I 
thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and appreciate you sharing your knowledge and experience with um, our listeners. And hopefully we can have another conversation one day soon. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. It's been truly an honor for me too. Thank you for listening to Move Like This, brought to you by the Accounting Move Project and sponsored by Moss Adams and SACPRO. If you'd like to learn more, visit our website at accountingmoveproject.com. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues too. I'm your host, Bonnie Buell-Russick, and until next time, keep moving forward.